Hi, welcome to The Brophy Show. I'm Dan Brophy, and on this week's show, I'm chatting to Aaron Schleaves, who is a Reiki master who has found an amazing way to package what she wants to share with the world into the social media space. So this episode is really valuable for anyone who is doing something that is creative but a little bit outside the box and looking to work out how they show up in the world in order to create content that tells their own story and ultimately transmits the vibration that they want to share with the world. That's the joy of social media, really, and it can be so frustrating, I think, for creatives to work out how to fit their square peg into a round hole, so to speak, if certain social media platforms don't resonate with them. And similarly, you know, Erin has found a way to create through COVID what she calls the cloud Reiki gathering. So once a month, usually on a Monday night, she will host via Zoom a communal Reiki session that involves some journaling and some projection or manifestation goal setting for the future. Usually whenever I jump on board, it's because I'm at my wits end and I need answers or I need a release. But it's also really nice to go along to those sort of things when you're not hanging by a thread and you just want a a tune up. But it allows you to turn up on your own terms. You can leave your camera off if you like and you can just be in the room digitally and participating uh, in as anonymous and you can find more details about Erin's Cloud Reiki sessions and you can find out about joining her mailing list to make the most of all the amazing offerings that she's contributing for her community via her Instagram which I will link in the show notes. Please enjoy my chat with Erin Schleaves, a Reiki master for the next generation. So I have been enjoying, I've been joining you for your Cloud Reiki gatherings and but and, I, and I've been telling people about them because I've been finding them so transformative. But the first, so I have a couple of different friends reach out to me and they ask me usually the same one of, of same uh, kind of questions. One of them is like, what is Reiki even? And, and another one is, how does that work? on a digital space, even if they know what Reiki is. So tell me, first of all, what, what is Reiki even as someone who is a Reiki practitioner? Yep. <laughs> yeah, awesome, good question. Um, and just before I start, I just wanna just take a minute to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land I'm on. So I'm on Wurundjeri country and just wanting to pay my respect to the elders, both past, present and emerging. Thank you. So, Reiki. Reiki as a modality is only about 100 years old. So, it um, originated in Japan by uh, a man called Mikao Asui, who had this spiritual experience. And so, the direct translation from Japanese is life force energy. So, when we're talking about Reiki or Reiki energy or, or Reiki healing, Really, it's about tapping into the existing energy system of our body. So the the energy that heals our body, that you know, enables us to be the wonderful humans that we are. Um, and so, having a Reiki or receiving a Reiki healing is really about, um, I guess, getting like a top up of that energy. So having someone work as a conduit 
for you to receive more of that yummy energy in your life. Um, so as a modality, you know, we, we recognize it as being a hundred years old, but really it's always existed within us and around us. So it's, um, yeah, it's something that's always been, but the form that we know as Reiki is, is something that's probably in, in terms of many modalities still considered quite young and not necessarily mainstream yet. <laughs> It's, it's funny because an awareness of life force energy through so many different cultures and practices of, um, you know, awareness of chi and awareness of, you know, having energy moving through our bodies or even having a, an awareness of administering um, something to influence the way energy is moving through our bodies seems to have existed in a lot of different practices for such a long time. And is it just that Reiki was a, I suppose it would have been considered quite modern when it first came out, but it seems to be tapping into something that has been around forever. What do you think it was about the practice of Reiki that anchored it to a specific new modality when it originated that, that made it different to uh, how other cultures have engaged with life force energy? Yeah, that's a good question. And I wonder, I still, you know, kind of wonder that a bit myself. Some of it, I think, is the, um, you know, the process that, that's being placed around that. Because when we um, are trained as Reiki practitioners, or if we go on to train as Reiki masters, there are certain things that are incorporated in our training and practice um, that give it a framework uh, when we're working with people. But I think it's just like anything, we come to something because of its particular flavor. So, you know, if you work with any healing practitioner, even if, you know, people will work with, for example, psychologists, and so they're all psychologists, but you gel with a particular one and maybe not so much with another. And, and so I think in some regards that that's also true for healing modalities in that you, your physical body, your emotional body, your energetic body will respond differently to those different flavors. And one of those flavors is Reiki. And so for me, you know, Reiki originated in, in the twenties um, and was used in a really physical sense. In the thirties, there was a big earthquake in Japan and a lot of the um, hospitals were damaged. And, and Makawa Sui is known to be sort of treating up to five people at a time with each of his limbs in a really physical sense. and. What I observe now in our society, in our culture, is that, yes, we have physical illness, but so much of our physical illness is actually coming from a place of um, emotional illness, you know, stress and those types of things. And so I think in that regard, um, Reiki shows up really beautiful, uh, in, yeah, really beautifully as a remedy for that type of illness. And so I think maybe that's why it's, you know, birthed and emerged in the world at the time that it has. I'm, I'm so interested, and I sort of touched on this as we were setting up, I'm so interested in the idea that, you know, every mainstream gym offers yoga, whereas once upon a time, I remember in the 80s, my grandparents' neighbor's son was going to do yoga, and they were like, what would you want to do that for? What what sort of, you know, it was such a, it was such a niche, freaky far out, you know, oh, he's off the deep end, he's doing yoga. Um, it's, it's a, 
all of these, like every fitness first has yoga and you know some form of awareness of breath and some sort of awareness of grounding oneself. And even if that's your entry into an awareness of life force energy or how your energy feels or the idea of shifting the way you feel internally through a physical practice. And those that generation is now having children and those children are being raised with an awareness of themselves as more than just their physical self. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's got to be good for, for society. And actually, that's an interesting, you know, you, you have two children and I, and I imagine that, that that awareness around taking care of oneself beyond just the physical self is just woven into the fabric of day-to-day life. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's funny because, you know, it's all I know, right? So it's all I know to live as a Reiki master and, and I guess to therefore parent in that way as well. Um, but it's you know, over the years when I sort of reflect on some of the experiences, like when our eldest would have been, or maybe she would have been three years old, and we'd gone to a, a kid's birthday party in a really, one of those play centres, which is basically like, a big room where they, you know, climb through all those things. Intense. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we were there, and, and she was in in the thing. And, and on the way home from the party, we were in the car, and she said to my um, husband and I, she said, "Oh, can can we please go to the river?" And I and I said, "What do you want to go to the river for?" And she said, "Just so we can get some peace and harmony." And <laughs> I was like, "Yeah." Sure, like because they've just grown up with me, I guess, um, you know, asking them to listen to their bodies, asking them to inquire within themselves what they need and, and how they can access the things that they need. So, yeah, I suppose they have grown up with a bit of a different framework for understanding self. Yeah. <laughs> And it's funny because I was observing even in myself how, you know, because I'm in my mid-30s and I'm only coming to some of these just practical awarenesses around myself of like, oh, when I'm a little bit tired and I find myself in a shop with really bright, hectic neon lights and droney music, which I'm sure is completely designed to zombify users anyway, and I'm completely disoriented and just staring at things, not understanding why I'm just entranced and feeling like I'm going into a spiral of, you know, energetic abyss. Um, hey, there's something to that. I need to make sure that I'm limiting my time in those spaces. I'm coming out of them as briefly, as, qu- as quickly as possible with whatever I happen to need and ideally recognizing that I shouldn't you know, I should sense check myself as to whether I'm do, I'm engaging with spaces like that consciously, or am I just getting lost in the malaise of an environment that's probably designed to lose you in a malaise? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, you know, it's interesting because that's happening um, to everyone on some level. But something that I've researched since having kids, actually, and identifying it through my own children, is this. Um, concept of the highly sensitive person and it's something that an American psychologist Elaine Aaron talks about a lot but what I observe as well over the you know the decade that I've been working with people is that a lot of people that are drawn to a subtle healing practice like Reiki a lot of those people 
will also identify as a highly sensitive person. And what that basically means is that your um, senses, so, you know, sight, sound, smell, they're heightened. There's like a greater complexity to them. And so in previous um, generations, you know, talking way, way back, the people that were highly sensitive were the ones that protected the tribe. So they were the ones that would like smell the fire before anyone else did or have a sense of a predator kind of coming to the periphery of their area or, you know, those kinds of things where their senses were actually um, used for the survival of the tribe. But in a modern day world, those of us, I think it's something like, I can't remember if it's 5% or 15% of the population of this kind of highly sensitive person. Um, so nowadays when we don't have threats of, of predators in that way or, or those kinds of things, but we have these huge sensory overloads around us, it can be super overwhelming. And so things like you say, like shopping centers are extreme because you're actually getting the senses inundated from every different level. If you, you know, you've got the lights, you've got the sound, you've got smells, you've got food courts and all these loads of artificial smells, you know, that stores kind of put out there. And, um, and so that on a really practical level, is great to have an awareness if you're a highly sensitive person and you can kind of you know there's enough info out there that you can have a look at at what um, kinds of things that you might experience if you are and if you are one and you read it you'll be like oh wow I didn't realize that not everyone was like this right and that can be things like um, you can tolerate really loud music if you're kind of choosing the music or choosing the volume yourself but if someone else is choosing the music or, or managing the volume, that can be really like um, uncomfortable. Anyway, so you can look into that, but it's good to have a separate sort of awareness of if that's going on for you. Um, but all of us broadly having an awareness of how stimulated we are in our environments and really trying to find time to be in nature because it's the most beautiful antidote to that overstimulation because you know, when we get our feet on the earth and we connect in, they've measured the heartbeat of the earth, that it's this really beautiful, slow frequency. And when we get our feet onto the earth, you know, that starts to actually regulate our heartbeat and to bring it into that rhythm. So it's, yeah, it's nice to have an awareness of the fact that even though we've evolved so much over time, we're still animals, you know, <laughs> and we still need mm. to, to find those surroundings that best suit our, our animal selves, I suppose. It, it makes me think about how so many, especially for parents who are concerned about their uh, uh, kids who are, maybe have behavioural issues or who have, you know, every single one of my friends growing up had some version of ADD, every single one. All of my friends were always the most hyperactive, the most destructive, the most ramp, like wild and you know, can I just, and I've, and I've got a whiff of it, but I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, not someone who identifies with it as much as, as, as people who I've been very close to. But I'm just so, now that we've got these additional awarenesses coming through around like, oh, hey, when I'm, when I'm exposed to this thing that is just considered normal, it's actually, it actually sends me spiraling or it really over exhausts my senses or it leaves me feeling really depleted or it makes me really grumpy or it makes me really aggressive or you know and and these are just 
shopping center smells or like I used to work in an office where I was under halogen lights in an environment that was in the middle of a business park where you were designed you're asked to never really leave the building surrounded by you know computer screens and hectically unhappy people and the way in which my body started to shut down and react from being in that environment uh, was so uh, was such a point of no return for me to go oh I actually I can't work in, in that sort of environment just physically but beyond just the ways in which it was depressing in a number of ways just the the sheer prison like environment that that was that put me in allowed me to go in order for me to be able to be happy on the daily I that one of my not negotiables is natural light not recycled air no neon lights no I, I sometimes need no music or if I'm listening to music it has to be very specific to to something that works for me and it and there would be people who haven't yet done that journey yet who are looking at other solutions that are maybe just more band-aid or maybe they're thinking what's wrong with me or maybe they're thinking I need to medicate myself or maybe they're thinking God work is just shit I hate work I need to blow off some steam this weekend and just write myself off because I'm so miserable and depleted that I need to take my mind off how I feel and I, I feel like society is sort of designed around giving you temporary fixes as opposed to the way it currently stands identifying that these things are even happening yeah totally and I think you know when we see such a prevalence of things like ADHD or or even when we start talking about um, the autism spectrum and we're finding this, you know, more and more people are identifying this way or being um, diagnosed with these conditions. It's like, oh, isn't this interesting that there are so many people that are falling into these categories? Could it possibly be perhaps a result of the way that we have structured and created our society? Could it actually be that there's nothing wrong with the people, but the way that we live our lives is kind of the problem? That's the part that needs the the healing, you know? And I think for people that, um, I, same as you, you know, I worked in offices for many years and I think that there's, you know, there's so many layers to that because for me personally, um, uh, leaving the office environment was great for me, yes, from that kind of um, stimulation environment point of view, but also um, because of what I was destined to do was not going to really exist in, in an office. But for many people, you know, their job might really be their passion. And like you say, they think that they're no longer um, enjoying it or that it's no longer good for them because they're feeling all these things where maybe if we could just separate out the actual physical environment that they're trying to exist in like we look at what happens when you put plants in those offices they die <laughs> and it's like we are two living organisms right so if a plant and plants are far more adaptable than humans plants are incredible like plants will be the one thing that exist over you know humans will be extinct and long gone and plants will still be existing and so if plants are struggling to survive in those environments it's no wonder that we do and so you know I found it really interesting I'd love to have sort of you know hope someone somewhere has done some sort of research into what um, the impact of COVID has been on people that 
normally would work full time in an office that are now working largely from home or in you know more um, home-based environments whether that has impacted the health and well-being of those people in a really unexpected way because they are receiving more natural light because they are getting out of the house more at lunchtime you know I even observed in our local area the people that would have been in an office that were at home that were out and about at lunchtime because that was the only thing we could do right in Melbourne here when we were in lockdown and so I think about that you know for people to really understand themselves as a an energy being and that not being in a kind of like a trippy spiritual sense like yes we can go there and we can talk about all of that but just like fundamentally like on a molecular level <laughs> we're an energetic being and so understanding that we will be impacted by our environments and to seek out those changes in those environments may just really be like all you need to then be able to thrive it's, it's funny isn't it since I've been I, I did a, a, um, a sound bath healing with our lovely a wonderful friend Kate Ballas who joined on your last cloud Reiki session with me and she pulled a little uh, card for me at the end of the uh, the end of the session and just sort of left it on my pillow so that when I came to uh, you know I had a little awareness card and, and and my card said life force energy and that was a couple of weeks ago and since receiving that it just something about it really landed and made me go oh I, I feel like I really needed to be aware of that right now and it actually meant that my framework of vision was adjusted to see how life force energy and the factors that influence the way in which my life force energy is affected and experienced is, is prevalent across everything that I pay attention to and probably things that I don't. For example, it, it's, it should be acknowledged that it's there in sex it should be acknowledged that it's there in the food that you're consuming of course it's your sleep is responsible for that the way in which you're experiencing light the amount of sun you're seeing the amount of times that you're, you're touching the earth and walking on the ground you know all, all of those things it's so inescapable and and it's not like it, it's special for me every single person is responsible to or responsive to these influences and I, how emboldening, how fantastically empowering for everyone who gets to watch this to, to recognize that, that as a creative person, chances are you're probably a highly sensitive person if you've gravitated towards this, this conversation and you're probably going to observe that, that this will change the way in which your day is structured and the way in which you engage with things that were previously unconscious. I think that's just so exciting and empowering because it's like someone said to me it was almost like having this awareness of a a new food group I hadn't paid attention to or a new vitamin that I could start taking and I was just thinking wow like I'm, I'm kind of getting a, a little bit of a tune-up across everything that I'm doing now yeah yeah totally and it's, it's, this is my whole passion, right, with doing the work that I do, is, is helping people find this balance between everyday necessity and this kind of this spiritual bliss, right? And I understand that people are busy. There's not, there's not always this capacity to get up and meditate for an hour or, you know, have these really deep, 
practices within their lives. I mean, fantastic if you do, but the reality is that most people feel overwhelmed when they think about having to try and embark on something like that, or they don't want to, you know, you're not able to maintain that level of practice. So for me, it's about the micro moments. It's about those little pockets in our day and in our life where we can make a different choice. And so, for example, that might be, you know, I, I observe it a lot picking up the girls from school and you sort of get there and you might be like five minutes early. And so the, the, the default thing to do would be to maybe just scroll on your phone, check your emails, Facebook, whatever. And it's like, that's a perfect example of a micro moment to go, well, what else could I do with these five minutes, three minutes, two minutes? I could just, I could consciously breathe is one thing I could do. I could choose to get out of my car um, and stand outside and either just get the sun on my face or just like observe and feel what's going on around me. So can I hear birds? Can I feel the wind on my face? Like, you know, just, just finding these little pockets of our days where we start to consider ourselves in that way, where we start to nourish ourselves. Like you say, like this is a form of medicine. This is like the truest form of medicine is looking to our natural world and allowing it to guide us where we need to be, what, what parts of ourselves want to come back into harmony. You know, when we talk about disease, it's that idea I think Bruce Lipton talks about it is like, you know, dis-ease is just there is no ease in the body. We've lost that harmony within ourselves. And so being able to find these little moments in our day that help to bring us back into that harmony, even if we are working in an office building and there's no escaping that, you know, there are still always these ways that we can be nourishing and nurturing ourselves just through these like conscious little mini choices that we make. Um, and, and the thing is, it's so instinctive in us anyway. We we've kind of been tricked into thinking that we don't know this stuff or that it's, you know, that it's, um, it's this old way. But, you know, you think about when you um, hit your elbow, you know, like, and you whack yourself on something, what's the first thing you do when you whack your elbow? Grab it, you put your hand on it. Straight away, the hand goes on there. It's, it's, it's a proper instinctive response, right? And fundamentally, it's like, that's Reiki, right? So whilst I might be trained and attuned to do that in a really um, specific way that allows you to maybe access it a little more easily, fundamentally as a human, you know how to do it, right? You have love in your heart and you, you know what your body needs. And so, you know, for me, it's about us um, remembering and trusting ourselves that we have this toolkit that we can access to help ourselves feel more in balance, which then allows us to listen to ourselves more Then we make greater choices for ourselves. And, and we can do all of that while still living in an urban environment, while still, you know, working the jobs that we work, um, but it's like in a more holistic way. You've just reminded me that there could be some people who have come across this conversation who don't even know what someone receiving a Reiki experience would look like. So for someone who has never observed Reiki taking place or experienced it, 
what does a session look like? So a session, depending on um, the practitioner, so some some practitioners have been trained to give Reiki as a hands-off experience and some are hands-on. And so what that basically means is the practitioner will either be placing their hands, so you'd be lying on like a massage table, um, fully clothed, um, usually with some sort of nice light blanket over you, maybe something over your eyes just to help you go within. And they would either be placing their hands either just above or gently on your body. And they will be working on different areas of the body throughout your um, Reiki healing session. And so from the experience of the person receiving a Reiki, um, it's really individual. And in fact, even for at each individual person, each time you have a Reiki is really different. So sometimes people experience physical sensations. They might experience um, tingling. They might experience heat or a bit of pressure, um, maybe some emotional stuff. So they might get a bit teary or they might um, want to laugh or, or cough. Um, it's, the, it's, it's all just our body's way of engaging with this flow of energy that's coming through us because we store our experiences in our bodies. So, you know, you've had those conversations in your life. Maybe it's been like with a boss or somebody where they've said something to you and you really want to say something back, but you don't bite your tongue and you just kind of like keep it and to let the conversation move on. Um, and it's in that moment of keeping it that it actually goes into the body somewhere. And so it's got to find somewhere to live, right? And so that happens, that's just, that's what happens. As humans in our world, we, we store some experience because it's not acceptable for us as adults to process all our experiences. That's why kids are so much healthier than adults because kids process their experience on the spot. So they'll either like, you know, we might call it a tantrum, but they are just expressing the rage, expressing the frustration, whatever it is, and then they let it go. And then two seconds later, they're just like all joyful again. So as adults, it's not deemed acceptable for us to do that, right? And so we just suck it in, but bottling it up. Um, and so when you have a Reiki, what can happen is that energy coming in, it's like, well, we want to make a little bit of space for this yummy energy. And in order to do that, sometimes something else might just, you know, need to clear or might need to be released. And so that's why sometimes we can experience these sensations or emotions as things are just being gently touched upon. Um, and released and so that's a that's a uh, that's having like a physical in-person treatment and there's also um what's called a distant reiki healing which is where it's, it's a different process where you still receive the reiki healing in the same way but rather than being there in person and maybe having a little bit of a debrief and chat afterwards the reiki practitioner will write some notes of your experience and of of, of what's um what's happening that Reiki for you. So those are the two sort of um, main types of Reiki experiences. And then in the last year, I've, <laughs> I've created what I call cloud Reiki, which is kind of like a combination of those two Reiki practices to serve our, um, our modern world, I guess. We, we, I have clients that are interstate or that have moved out of the city and it's been tricky for them to be able to access me for that um, Reiki. And so I've yeah, created 
created my own little um, hybrid model, I guess. <laughs> the, the group classes have been so user-friendly and so they feel, especially during COVID, the connection was lovely to feel like you were um, communing with a group, even though most of the time I don't even turn, it's a Zoom, it's a Zoom conference in a sense of, you know, 10 to 20 people. I usually don't even turn my camera on and we're chatting to you about the astrologically, seasonally, what's relevant energetically for that particular time that you're choosing to have the, the, the event. And then usually doing, which I love, some intention setting and some, some journal writing because I'm a huge writer. So for me to anchor it into a sense of, okay, well, given what's happening seasonally or astrologically, energetically at the moment, this is what I'm looking to let go of or to welcome in or to to embrace. And then there is something that would look like a group meditation, but actually, I mean, how would you describe what you ask us to do? Because I find that I don't need to try very hard the way I sometimes have to try hard with a meditation. I just sort of relax into it. But what are you asking us to do and what are you doing at the time that we are sitting there for half an hour, an hour towards the end of the session? Yeah, so yeah, that that in within the so the cloud reiki gatherings, yeah, that you're talking about, um, that thirty to forty minutes at the end is is me giving you a reiki, and so all I'm really asking you to do is to um, one give me permission. So that's an intellectual thing, but it's also a kind of energetic thing to to acknowledge and intend that you would be receiving the reiki energy at that time. Um, and to just be to just be present in that experience to give yourself permission to relax so you don't need to meditate it's not something where you need to be really strict with your mind I encourage people you know by nature we are a very mind strong society so it's it's very very common for people to have a, a busy active mind particularly at the beginning of a Reiki so I just encourage people, one, to just observe and surrender to that because it's like the more you try and fight that, you know, the more it persists. And so we go, okay, I've got a busy mind and, and maybe focusing intention somewhere on the body and just, just having a curiosity, really. It's, it's, it's honoring that moment that you've created for yourself. I'm here. I'm, I'm opening to receiving this Reiki and I'm just going to be curious, you know, if my mind wants to be busy, well, I'm going to give my mind a job and that might be to feel into my feet or my knees or whatever it might be. Um, and so really during that time, all you're doing is giving me permission to, um, to act as a conduit for this life force energy to enter into your body. And really through my training, through my Reiki master teacher and the lineage that she has come from and therefore I come from as well, is that you know we could kind of um, substitute life force energy for unconditional love, um, which is really fundamentally what is happening when I am engaging in a Reiki with you is just really opening my heart um, and in you giving me permission you're opening yours and it's so it's a co-creation process where you are allowing this this kind of greater energy that sustains us all to give you the the 
boost that you require or to help you to move through something or whatever it is that your entirety when I you know as a person mind body spirit however that wants to um, prioritize that time of healing for you isn't it nice to be reminded that for if we were to think of someone who we all know who we all know people like that who are the most blocked the most um you know disconnected from themselves in that way banging ciggies smashing it on the weekend in turbo you know caustic environments on the daily they're still able to to live and survive and exist and be uh you know existing as a life force energy fueled being so you can imagine for someone who's actually specifically choosing to take steps towards a greater awareness or just taking better care of themselves or maybe mitigating some of the the complications around how they're experiencing life force energy it's it's a slipstream to enter into you don't even need to try very hard as a matter of fact the <laughs> it's probably a, a releasing or a lack of trying is what it ends up becoming after you uh, once you sort of put yourself into alignment with just what wants to happen naturally anyway. Totally. And what I find for people is that it leads them to a greater acceptance of themselves. So it leads them to a place of knowing and loving themselves in a different way that, that gives a sense of freedom. You know, it's funny you mentioned the person with the cigarettes and the partying and stuff. And, and sometimes I think about those people almost in a way as like less blocked than half of us. You know, you, we know these people that live to a really old age and they'll be like, oh, she drank brandy every day and smoked a packet of cigarettes and she's still going, right? But she's probably also the lady that was mouthing off at everyone that pissed her off or like, you know, said what she needed to say when it happened. And so in some ways she was actually like really <laughs> energetically healthy in, in some regards because she was just really like giving herself permission to let that stuff up and out when it was happening. Um, and so a lot of people that I work with that come to me are, are really trying not consciously but like they've they've got this unconscious yearning to start peeling off some of these beliefs and some of these layers that have been gifted to them by their society by their parents by their you know different cultural groups that have told them how they should live their life and so when they get into a place where they're receiving a reiki and they're in that stillness and they're being you know bathed in unconditional love um they are able to see themselves in a different light and to be able to almost separate from those beliefs and stories and and get a glimpse of like oh what is it that i want outside of the stories that are telling me what i should want you know what is that you know for some people it's like oh actually i thought i wanted a marriage and i don't or you know like it's it can just be anything um and by having that that opportunity to really like meet with themselves in that way is is such a nourishing experience in itself and like you say it's a slipstream it then just continues to in, encourage you to inquire more and and part of with the cloud reiki gatherings the, the way that i do it 
the reason behind that is because I want people to have an opportunity to really truly connect with themselves. So, you know, yes, absolutely have a Reiki with me. That's a very nurturing process and we need to, um, we need support and help, you know, to kind of keep us going. But it's also really important that we take some ownership of that process as well. And so when we do journaling and intention setting, it's not so much for like, anyone else or the universe even it's really for us it's so that we can deeply kind of let that sink into our being and allow that to start guiding our journey a little more opposed to just cruising along with the mainstream of you know the the, the tick box of life like this is what i meant to do i get this job i marry this person i buy the house i have the kids da, 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 da. um that's not everyone's journey it's some people's journey, it's not everyone's journey. Um, and so I love that this space can kind of help people to figure out what their journey is. A theme that's coming up for me or uh, an idea that I'm thinking about a lot at the moment is just is, is question everything. Everything's up for grabs. And it, the reason I, I say that from the perspective of, like for example, one of my biggest journeys in life and uh, that's taken me on, a, on lots of different therapy journeys is the fact that I grew up in an environment where I was never allowed to express anger or sadness. I could do whatever I wanted, but I was just encouraged to always just look really, because I, I, my parents, uh, I, we lived in at their work, they owned retirement homes, we were living on premises, so I was in a sense on show the whole time and I could do whatever I wanted. I had total free reign as a five-year-old to go about my life as I wanted to, except I just, no tantrums, no explosions of noise or things that were, that would disrupt the status quo. So it wasn't until I started to do performance-based stuff as an older person and every time I came to need to, to perform things that went into the territory of anger and sadness, I would just lock down and clench up and become really wooden and I realized it was because I never actually knew what those things looked like and I never had any opportunity to express those feelings and I used to always think to myself, gosh, isn't it great I just never really get angry or sad about anything, like, I don't even, don't even cry, I go to a funeral, I see people crying and I'm thinking, how weird, like, you know, people just having weird emotions and I realized after a while that it wasn't that those emotions weren't actually there, it's just that somewhere between the having of the emotion and the expressing of the emotion, it was getting blocked. And so the work that I've been doing was almost 25, 30 years worth of recalibrating and, and releasing what was in a sense untapped expressions of emotion. And I, I kind of imagine that if that, that process were to have continued unabated, that that would be a one-way track to dis-ease or some form of cancer or something that meant that I was, I was uh, experiencing the calcification of decades worth of unexpressed emotion. And I think that questioning everything becomes relevant to that because all of the, re like what I was performing as a child was good as far as everyone else was concerned. I was just being a good kid, good boy. And sometimes to be good, to do, to marry the person that your parents would like you to marry, to do the job that you feel like you're meant to do, to be a, a good, a good, responsible person, usually to do with some expectations set upon you from your family, or to, to take the path that has been designed for you and to be good, 
is not necessarily in your best interest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like really. <laughs> and it's something that I, I think um, there's so many layers to, but it can be so helpful if someone, like for example, if someone's watching this and going, oh, I think that might be me. Like I can feel that within me. Um, it can be really useful to follow the threads. I'm all about people following the threads to finding that kind of original belief that built this kind of experience within yourself. So, you know, listening to you talking and, and this idea that a good boy doesn't get angry or a good boy doesn't make noise. And so, you know, even unpacking what a good boy is, right? That The idea that there should be something that is this goodness that is kind of celebrated. But beyond that, this idea of, you know, this good boy not getting angry, how that then impacts you as an adult and how you navigate in your world. And, you know, and I can relate. I think I was someone who was... Um, had a lot of fire in me and I, I probably that fire existed within me probably more through to my um, early 20s and at some point I sort of started to temper it down um, and what I realized in the last probably 10 years doing this kind of work is um, the beauty of sacred rage, which is how I love to re refer to my anger, you know, as this, this sacred practice of, and of releasing anger is really just movement. Often you'll hear people talking about anger as kind of the layer above sadness or hurt. Um, and so even just being able to track that and go, okay, I'm feeling angry. Could I be sad about something? Could I be hurt? Have my boundaries been crossed? That's usually where anger comes from. Like, is has someone crossed my boundary or have I not maintained a strong boundary for myself? But, you know, being able to kind of play around in some of that stuff so that we don't feel so um, captive to our emotions for a start. We don't feel like they're controlling us. We can actually observe them and, and ask them, what, what, are you, what are you here for? Why, what is this anger bringing to me? And as you say, being able to release some of that stuff allows us to create more harmony in the body. So I'm really careful. There's, there's a lot of um, conversation from the kind of, I guess, what you would call new age community when, when people talk about how you make yourself sick, you know, like, well, you've got cancer, you've made yourself sick. And I think those are really harmful statements um, to put that onto someone. What I do think can happen is when we get unwell, when we have illness in the body, is that it is just a beautiful signpost. It's just an invitation to explore what might be going on, to look at taking a different path, to trying something different in the body, to, you know, because often what happens is when people get really unwell, especially with things like cancer, when people get really unwell, they stop and they take stock of their life and they say, well, if it's only three months, what do I actually want to do with that three months? And they find that, oh, actually, I wanted to live like this and do this and that. And so I find if we can view illness in the body as an invitation to ask some questions, to be curious, to, to give ourselves permission to explore and dream, 
it's actually a really wonderful thing. Like I've experienced it a number of times in my life and it's always led me to a greater understanding of myself and ultimately um, a more joyful existence in, you know, I guess is a surprising way. We don't expect that from being unwell. It's true, you know, it is a gift and an invitation. And I think that there's something in my conditioning which is very conditional. You better do the right thing or else. And I know that that way of looking at the idea of getting really sick or, or having cancer as the most extreme understanding of what that could be for a person has unconsciously been linked to a, well, you didn't do the right thing, therefore you have done this to yourself or something. And I think that maybe that, and, and the last thing that someone that was dealing with illness would benefit from is guilt or self, self, or self uh, flagellation at the choices that they made that took them to that place and actually reframing it as an invitation or as an opportunity to, to then work towards realignment or identification with a truer self is just pra practically more useful and probably more effective. Yeah. And that's yes yeah and it's that self-acceptance because even in the statement that you just mentioned around you better be good or else so again pulling the thread what is the or else and the or else is usually this implication that as a child we would have received it from our parents or else we will disapprove of you and the fear of disapproval pull the thread is that we would be disowned you know like the a kid's fear is that their you know parents are going to disown them and not want to be their parents anymore right that's like the kid's biggest fear that safety and security and so when we think about like that's a big fear right like that that threat and even from a tribal perspective we experience the same thing this sense of belonging and this fear of being cast out and of not belonging. And so it's a really massive driver. And so, yeah, like you say, if someone is unwell, we don't need them to feel more cast out or that they're, you know, that they, that they don't belong because they made certain choices or, or whatever it might be. I think if we can encourage spaces, one of as best as possible, unconditional love, which is a constant practice because we're kind of, built to love conditionally you know so to to encourage this practice of unconditional love that supports people to find their own self-acceptance because acceptance from others will always be conditional and will always be based on someone else's judgments and experiences and beliefs so if we can work towards finding acceptance with ourselves, then we're not um we're not so subject to the ebbs and flows of other people's personality and, and idiosyncrasies. We're able to find that harmony with the within that we're looking for. And so when we hear statements like I've made myself sick or whatever, that's, that's not helpful to our self-acceptance. So I really encourage people to, you know, and this is sort of a separate topic, but worth mentioning, but to really just um, look at how you speak, listen to how you speak. Listen to how you speak about yourself and others because our words are powerful. Our words are commands. And so when we say things about ourselves, 
in the world that that starts to kind of cement them into our being so to really look at how we can speak positively about ourselves and our experience and that creates a more loving accepting self as well that's another thing that's so true and so i mean i always i love doing this podcast or having these conversations because I always learn something and this is so, this is no exception, it's so great. But I, I was just thinking about recently how you know, the theme of intention being everything has really become prevalent uh, in so many experiences for me recently and intention towards every single act should be, I feel, imbued with intention and sometimes not making an intention is a choice, is a choice. And so just letting life happened to you and seeing what like it's uh, there's a it's an interesting thing i'm playing with at the moment which is on the one hand we should be open to offers and going with the rolling with the punches going with the flow of life but at the same time when we are making choices uh, always imbuing them with intention to me is uh, it's it's just such a it's such a false economy not to you feel like you're it's it's hard work but actually it's much harder work to just be uh either acting unconsciously or to be at the will of other people's intentions because you haven't set one for yourself to know why you're even doing something or what you want out of it. Mm -hmm. But I, I love the idea of having a little, little part of your awareness set on observing your words or even your choice to not say anything, which, which, which is as powerful uh, as you move through life because it's, it's an ever-present part of our existence. Therefore, if, they, if our words are as powerful as you suggest, we are just throwing energy and power into the, the world around us. With, and for, for many people, without actually uh, sense-checking what the, what the intention behind those, those offerings are. Yeah, yeah, really looking at what you want to reinforce for yourself. Um, I always encourage people to look up the work of Dr. Emoto, who um, did all the research with the water crystals. <clears throat> so basically he took water and they, this was like a clinical trial, I guess, um, and they spoke different statements or sentiments to these different um jars of water and then what they did is they looked at the molecular structure of the water in each of these different samples and so some of them were being told things like I love you others were being um, told really hateful statements and they found profound differences in the molecular structure of the water based on what had been spoken to them and they've done the similar types of things with plants as well and so when we know that our body is made up of like, I always get this wrong, I think it's like 70% water, a lot of water. Our body's made up of a lot of water. And so if we think about all of that part of our being, being, you know, this is like scientific stuff, like being impacted by the statements that we're saying to ourselves and also to the statements that we say to others, um, it's like a really simple way to look after ourselves is to catch ourselves in moments where we might be saying things like, you know, I'm no good at that or, or you know, any of those self-depreciating or negatively reinforcing statements. It's like, do I want more of this in my life? Because if I don't, I'm going to catch myself in this moment and not say that thing. I'm going to find a new statement. 
And that statement might just be like, I am learning to do this or I'm getting better at that. Or, you know, maybe you've had an illness and, and you want to say, you go to say, oh yeah, I'm still sick. But instead you could say, oh, I'm in the process of healing, you know, and just tweaking those statements to actually lead us to where we want to be opposed to keeping us where we don't want to be. It's so funny for the for someone who you're explaining this to who was resistant to those ideas, I imagine that they are ignorant, choosing to ignore the fact that they are... You can't not be 70% water. You can't not be an energetic being that is completely governed by your life force energy. Sorry about it, but that's just your, your makeup. You're, you, are, you, can, you can choose to be ignorant of these things, but it's but but why why would you not pay attention to these things because they are fundamental to your existence you can't choose not to be sorry about it <laughs> yeah exactly i always say you know when people sort of talk about we well, say reiki is like this intelligent energy and it knows what to do in the body like how is that even possible like what are you talking about and I just love using the example of cutting yourself. So, you know, you somehow you end up with a cut, you're bleeding. Do you sit there and micromanage how that cut heals itself? Like, do you spend the next four days sitting there with your cut, like re-knitting the cells and coagulating the blood and doing all the things? No, of course you don't. You trust that your body, this complex being, knows what it needs to do in order for that healing to occur. And so it's that same principle that is allowing this energy to do what it needs to do in your body. It's just, it's funny, you know, how we get with things like this, we get so affronted by the idea that it could work. And yet we're so comfortable, like talking on our phones through Wi-Fi or 4G or whatever. We don't even think twice about how I can arrive on your screen or vice versa. You know, to me, that blows my mind. Reiki, I'm like, yeah, I get that. But how can I show up on his screen? I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, so well, for me, I, I it's was great that about... things like... No, go. Uh, you... Go for it. Yeah, I was thinking about how even grassroots garden variety Christianity is so mystical and so far out and you have to have such a suspension of disbelief to jump on board that yet it is so widespread and accepted that that that, that is a, that is open to uh, acceptance. And I love that something that is based in in a, in science is like, oh, Reiki, it's, it's, it's too, it's a bridge too far. I'll accept, I'll accept all of the mystical far out concepts of Christianity without any problem. But if it goes into Reiki territory, that's just too much for me. Yeah, and it, it's funny because they're doing research in hospitals. So they're doing clinical trials around pain reduction from Reiki. And it is, you know, it's interesting to me watching that journey unfold and, and the findings from these things and you know there'll always be that sense of oh more more study or more more you know research required or whatever and I kind of think oh great like go for it um but it's you know someone that's experienced Reiki and has their own you know 
journey with that will be able to give you a much better um, taste of what that's actually like. And I love now that you know the fields of quantum physics and things like that they articulate a lot of what we know through energy work um, is now sort of being broken down in a more uh, scientific sense for people that do need to understand it in that way that they can look to those types of um, sciences to understand it to help their brains get on board with what's happening you know it's something really common I find someone will come and have a Reiki and, and will really quickly slip into that space where they kind of go wherever they need to go and then the second time they have a Reiki they find that their mind's like super active really busy and what I've observed over the years of this happening is that what I what I believe to be occurring is that the first time someone has a Reiki it seems a bit boring to the mind, right? The mind's like, I don't know what's going on here. They're lying still, blah, blah, blah. I'm out of here, you know? And so that's when someone goes into that sort of blissful journeying type of space. But then something changes after they've had the Reiki, you know? Like they come out of it and they're like, whoa, what was that? And now I'm thinking different things about my life and all this kind of stuff. So then the next time they go to have a Reiki, it's like their mind goes, whoa some shit went down last time <laughs> I'm not leaving here I'm gonna like stay on board and make sure I can like keep control of things so I think it's interesting the way that our minds you know need to understand something when the energetic stuff happens regardless of what the mind knows or doesn't know <laughs> I um I yeah it's it's I definitely that was definitely my experience 100% because uh and now I've transcended into just like loving turning up with whatever's going on for me at the time god i'm tired oh i'm oh i've got an overactive mind oh well you know that that little bit of acceptance that you give yourself to just bring whatever is going on for you to the table metaphorically or literally uh, but, but before we wrap i wanted to ask as a as a as a practitioner because lots of different people who hear this will come from be be interested in it from the perspective of how maybe they can use things that we're talking about just in their day to day, which I think is so valuable about this conversation. But there's also a thing that I wanted to touch on, which is the fact that, you know, you've built a business around a practice. And so many people that listen to this are people who are trying to find ways to to build a business around the thing that they want to offer to the world or, or, or share with the world. And I've, I, th I think I came to, to see you as a practitioner for the first time over 10 years ago. And, and that business offering has continued to evolve and I'm probably more aware of it now just because you're you're in my algorithmic feed more often so I see how elements of um, of the the offering turns up as as graphics as a website as you know in, in all the ways in which one needs to to package and create an experience do you want to just chat to me about how you've how you that has evolved for you over the time that you have been practicing? Yeah, I think um, for me it really is about doing what I love, which I know can be something that sounds a bit like, mm -hmm, but actually that's what's maintained this. It's it's something that um, I I kind of have always had as my my sort of stable across the last 10 years I think that's something that's really important is not um, 
again is attached to these ideas and these beliefs like I've never subscribed to the idea that I need to be doing this wholly and completely full-time as my only income otherwise I'm not a success or it's not valuable or whatever that might be so I kind of want to bust that myth to anyone that has something that they love and wants to you know make that as a business like don't put pressure on yourself to be able to do it all at once full time and have no other supports. Um, I've had part time jobs along the way, partly because that's who I am and I like to sort of be dynamic and, and be the different versions of myself. Um, but also so that I can show up in this space from a really um, uh, open of service energy. So that I, you know, for me, that allowed me to grow this practice really organically to not, I don't, didn't ever want to be um, offering what I do from a really like um, fear-based energy. So, so that's something I think has been important for me is being allowing myself to have other avenues of uh, financial, you know, income to allow me to grow it in the way that I wanted to grow it. Um, and to just, I guess, honor myself along the way, I think that uh, having it your own business is, is really a personal journey. And so you have to find the ways that work for you. You're not going to fit into a particular mold of how things are done. So for me, it's been around, you know, it was really important to me that I was fundamentally first and foremost there for my girls when they were super, super little. They're still little, but they're like more independent now. Um, but I wanted my business to be something that I could do outside of nurturing and caring for them. And so I think that that honoring and that knowing of yourself will help you in all aspects of your business and to find the spaces that you love. So for me, I'm a really um, visual person. I'm very activated by imagery. It's, it's a big part of who I am. So then it makes sense for me to largely exist in a space like Instagram, opposed to like Twitter to me is just like, why would anyone be on Twitter? <laughs> and yet I know that so many people love Twitter, right? But they don't so know why they're it's there. like, they're you just, just gotta be in the space. <laughs> Honestly, I'm like, you know, my husband, he uses Twitter and I'm like, I just, my brain can't compute Twitter. Um, but it's like just finding what, finding the spaces that are true for you, that you feel engaged by so that then when you show up in those spaces, you do so from your fullest self. So you're not doing it from this kind of begrudging energy of like, oh, I should post something here because when we know everything's energy and even if we're not consciously thinking about it we feel it we're like oh that post was grimy or that felt a bit weird you know and so it's like finding the spaces where you can be true to yourself and just following that i don't know if that's good advice for people or not that's what i do <laughs> it's, that's that's great advice i mean i completely relate to that for so much of 2020 the latter half i had all these things that I knew that I wanted to do and that I'd been thinking about for a while. I'd been sitting on um, wanting to create things for myself to share ideas in the digital space. And I just couldn't do it. I don't know whether it was because I, uh, I didn't have the energy and I couldn't find the focus and I just couldn't be bothered. I just had no interest in actually delivering on all these things that I had good ideas around. Nor did I have the inclination to even, you know, 
go deep on the ideas beyond just top line ideation phase. But then sure enough, after just giving myself the space to, to, to be okay with that being my MO for the last nine months, as the, as the, the year has shifted and you know, energetically, it does feel like I've been, like someone said the reset button as the new year has rolled around and I feel really energized and excited to be making things again and to be sharing things and it feels like it's coming from a more organic place and for a while there people were saying oh are you are you still alive or are you still why aren't you doing the thing that you do anymore and because everyone of course you know people could sometimes like what you do and want more of it but actually to be really true to yourself and to say no it's just not there for me at the moment I'm not I'm not gonna just put things out there for the sake of filling the void um, I'm going to just uh, and, I, and I have a feeling that having taken the time and being really truly selfish in that way has meant that the things I will share now are actually all the richer for it yeah yeah like saying to people I'm actually just pregnant right now like yeah. <laughs> I'm not really I'm not ready to give birth just yet but I'll let you know when the baby arrives <laughs> it, it was nine months and I felt very you know okay with being in a, a, a self-care space in that way just needed that time um ah that's so that's what it's like oh cool okay i understand i understand pregnancy now <laughs> um uh, i mean birth but yeah <laughs> uh, well, um erin thank you thank you so much i as I said, I always get something out of my conversations, but I really, I feel like I had a session. Just bill me for that. That was really, that was great. <laughs> um, but if, if um, uh, I will definitely link to your, uh, your Instagram page and, and your website in the show notes so people can, can find you and to find about, out about wonderful Cloud Reiki gatherings and, and even just in terms of seeing ideas that you're sharing about self-care but is there anything that you know that you touched on so many good little pointers but for someone who is really at the beginning of their journey to just being a little bit more conscious about about their energy and taking care of themselves is there a little thing that would just be like a nice seed to plant yeah i think well what comes in when you ask that question um, is that resting is not a waste of time. I think that's mm. something that's really useful for people in our society to, and you know, and that might be a bit of a like idea that gets you feeling a bit uncomfortable. And if it does, great, kind of look into why that might be. But being able to sit with this idea that rest is not a waste of your time and to explore in what ways you could rest in your life, whether it's that two minute breath at school pickup, whether it's, you know, taking more significant chunks of time, whatever it is. But yeah, being able to ease into that idea of rest, I think would be a good starting point. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I've made my personal MO and I wonder if you've just intuited it on the, on the, on the wind from, from the fact that my whole MO for this month is, is rest and relaxation and also identifying the <laughs> subtle ways in which those two things are different. I even said to myself, well, I kind of rest most nights, you know, but I, when have I relaxed? When do I actively say, mm -hmm. no, I am relaxing. And I have since in the last month or since the, the, in the, last, since the beginning of the, the new year, 
I have um, started to schedule relaxation and be very, very uh, diligent with giving myself that space the way one would exercise. Have I done the exercise mm -hmm. I said I was going to do today? No, okay, I've got to make sure I, I slot that in. Have I done the relaxation I said I was going to do? No, okay, I need to make sure I slot that in. And, and enjoying all the ways in which that, all the different shapes that, that can take, but just having dedicated blocks of time that are as important as food shopping, meal, meal prep, you know, to exercise. Yes. It's just, a, yes. it's a not negotiable for me now. So I love that you have pointed that out because I think it's, um, it's, a, it's a great thing. And it's not even, it's, it makes sense to people. Okay, block of time, rest, I, or relaxation. I have to actively choose to do that. Yes, and if rest or relaxation feels so foreign to you, or if the idea of like, okay, now I'm relaxing, and you're like, just can't get yourself there, the other option, seek joy. Just go find joy, mm. whatever that looks like. That, you know, because for some people, the idea of like, okay, now I'm relaxing <laughs> is really difficult to come at. So, okay, go seek joy then. Find that in, in the truest sense, not in the kind of band-aid substance sense, but in the like, mm. paint a picture, run around with a small child and laugh, whatever. Go for it. My MO has been, what would, if I've needed to give myself a doing for those periods, what would I do if I was on holiday right now? Mm. Like if I was, if I was, if I was in yeah. the destination that I would rather be in traveling, I can't do that right now, so what would I do? I'd, I'd go for a walk. Like yesterday I just walked through so many different back streets of neighborhoods I'd never been to before because I thought, well, if I was on holiday, I would just explore streets and just look at houses and see how people live. And, you know, I, I, I think that if you, yeah, what would you do if you were on holiday? Hopefully it doesn't mean like, uh, you know, drink buckets and go to full moon parties necessarily, but, uh, it would be <laughs> do that too, but find the find the 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 yin version of that if you yeah. can as well. Um, yeah. Erin, thank you so much. This has been such a wonderful conversation. I've loved it, and I I, I really am so glad we met, we managed to make it happen. So thank you. Yeah, me too. Pleasure. Thanks for having me in your little cloud space in the world. It's, it's pretty cozy, pretty comfy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you. Speak to you soon. Great.